and a one and a two and a one two three welcome we are live house of strauss call in with ryan glassbeagle the great ryan glassbeagle of the new york post how you doing ryan uh i i I don't want to bore you with my domestic problems but the short answer is i am how the short answer now i'm doing is we moved into our new house a week and a half ago. The fridge broke today. Yada yada yada. Twenty four hundred dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, home ownership, home ownership, folks. Well, hey, um, I, I have a story that I have talked about in the past that perhaps doesn't take the sting out of what you've encountered. But once <laughs> my wife and I uh, installed a bidet by ourselves, a cheap bidet. Uh, and, uh, it went drip, drip, drip. Uh, we did not know. Uh, one day we discovered there was some sort of, uh, let's say a damp spot in our ceiling. Did not know why. Turned out that basically between the floorboards, we had turned it, uh, incrementally into an aquarium. Uh, (laughs) very expensive, very unexpected. I sometimes use it as a metaphor for certain cumulative things that go bad and they're imperceptible and it's little by little than all at once. Uh, maybe we'll do some sort of callback and get there, but, uh, but for, but for the home insurance, it would have been bad times, but for the home insurance, I mean, it, it was a couple thousand, but it probably would have been $15,000 for a fucking bidet. So yeah, home ownership <laughs> folks. <laughs> it, it's, um, I, I think that, it's it, for the intangible value of knowing that it's yours and knowing that you don't have to move, that it's worth it. But I don't think that it's like this economic boom that it's made out to be. No, you basically, uh, the bank in many instances is basically your landlord and they're deriving a lot of profit off what you're doing. I think it's better than renting, but it's not exactly, unless you've got the big money, you're buying it outright. I don't know if it is, uh, necessarily all it's cracked up to be though i do like having it i don't believe the cultural meme i'm seeing right now uh whether it's grant cardone the slightly sleazy uh florida real estate mogul or recently this guy who was on 60 minutes who owns thirty thousand homes as part of a corporation was saying that hey millennials they and zoomers they don't they don't want to own homes they don't want (laughs) to own homes like no no anybody with money wants to own things no that's is this is directly a result of their means uh that's why they're not owning homes right they the um the home prices have way outflanked inflation over the last 30 years and so you need to like earn much more compared to the CPI to afford one of them. Yeah, you just have to keep on moving and keep on going. And in that spirit, we'll try to do a tremendous job and hurdle above the rising expectations of all of you in the chat. Um, (laughs) I want to start because this is a media podcast, effectively. I know not everybody cares, but I found it interesting, Ryan, that apparently the MLB open locker room to media or so uh, John Greenberg tweeted at us. Uh, and the announcement from the NFL that in the upcoming season, media allowed in the locker room. But yet we have Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, uh, at All-Star Weekend saying that it's going to be difficult for us ever to be back to normal like that again. Uh, what gives right there? What accounts for that distinction? It seemed like perhaps the normal position when Adam Silver said it, I understand the NBA is an indoor sport. It's a bit more COVID risk there, although that's not what he was talking about. He was that's talking also about... not true in locker rooms like lock, baseball and NFL locker rooms are inside too. 
That's true. That's that's very true. I can confirm that I've been in baseball locker rooms. Apparently, they're called clubhouses, and apparently the human beings in there are like a foot shorter than what I was used to. It was very jarring to see that. <laughs> it's very strange to be interviewing athletes and be looking down as opposed to up. But um, I found that very interesting, and I'm connecting it to this broader issue, and you can riff off of what I'm saying. I don't want to read too much into it, but something happened over the past few years. The NBA... 2015, 2016. It wasn't just the league that the media perhaps favored. It wasn't just the league that was on the ascendancy with the Warriors and coming right off the LeBron uh, decision. And it had this heat. It had this juice. It was also a league that was marrying itself to the idea of progress. It was something that Adam Silver would talk about. It was something that was branded. We are the progressive league. But What can get a little bit screwy is when you try to marry yourself to this idea of progress or progressive, right? You don't always know where the progress is going to go. You don't always know where the future is going to go. And this might be a little too heady, but I was thinking about it on my run. So you tell me if this is too college dorm room stoner. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking about it like this. I think the NBA... And much of progressivism, ironically, has staked out a position on COVID that is the conservative position, as in the position that will be trampled by history. Now, it is under the progressive banner, uh, like so many things that eventually, eventually became uh, normal and eventually conquered conservatism, as once defined as standing athwart history yelling stop. But the COVID hawks are going to lose. They will lose. They will be defeated. This is not going to be forever. They are being defeated everywhere. Uh, We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the cafes. We will fight them in the schools. To borrow from Winston Churchill, they're not going to win. So by kind of maybe catering the messaging more to that cohort, Ryan, Adam Silver made his progressive league the regressive league. The NFL took just took the scene. Uh, I, I said at one point the NBA should relax their testing, stop with the testing of uh, asymptomatic players. They eventually got there, but not before the NFL did, right? They eventually got people in the building, fans, but not before the NFL did. It seems like the NFL is more so on the vanguard. What say you, Ryan? Well, I don't think that they are taking away locker room access forever because of COVID. Didn't, yeah. didn't Silver make some comment about like reporters like checking out the naked players or something like <laughs> yeah that was, they, like, that I saw was, a bunch of yeah. writers get mad about it but I never went and found whatever the original comment was but yeah. he said yeah. that it, it, it what it boils down to is as you've written about the players see it as an invasion of their oasis but where the NBA defers from MLB and the NFL is you know, the players, if they want something in MLB or NFL, they don't just automatically get it. They're not like, you know, Veruca Salt, like, I want an yeah. Oompa Loompa now. Yeah. Well, you don't get one. I'm sorry. Like, Yeah, that's, there's that's a lot. Because I've, I've got Mad Men on the brain recently. There's a lot of uh, that's what the money's for in the other leagues. Yeah. And so the NFL especially realizes that it's a league of a bunch that's comprised of a bunch of stories. And so 
you know, right now is the dead of the NFL offseason. The combine has already happened. The draft is still like a couple months or it's like a month or and a half away or whatever. Um, people, it doesn't really have that much buzz because there's not a big quarterback in it. But, you know, the big trades and free agency signings have mostly come and gone at this point. Like, we're going to get a Baker Mayfield trade maybe, but um, the NFL has these owners' meetings in Florida, and it's kind of like a boondoggle excuse for a bunch of reporters to get to go to Florida, especially in places like New England, Chicago, Midwest, it's not okay. warm yet, you know, they're doing those people a solid. And then all of a sudden news comes out of it. You've got like Steve Bishotti, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft speaking to like, you know, three or four or five reporters from their beat at a time. And news comes out of it. Like Robert Kraft gripes that the Patriots haven't won a playoff game in three years. Jerry Jones, no comments, this paternity suit that is ongoing, but even the fact that he no commented it is news because it's a chance to just kind of go through the cycle again. Um, Steve Bishotti, the Ravens owner, gripes that his divisional rival, the Rams, gave Deshaun Watson a $230 million fully guaranteed contract, and it like resets the whole marketplace. But you've got these news morsels that are basically invented out of nowhere just because they decided to hold an event that would create them. Yeah. Well, not all of that is news that you necessarily want, and you got to keep the main thing the main thing, as Pat Riley would say. Make it about the sport. But it's interesting just because uh, also the NFL doesn't need it. They don't really need the media, and yet they are including them. And I think that's probably pretty smart because everything is understood through story. Do we already have a caller? I, I, I'll take a call. I mean, eventually, I want to get into this whole Oscars poll. I'm I, in many ways the Oscars thing has been overdone, but I thought David Shore provided something very uh, intriguing by doing a poll on it. But let's make Daniel uh, the next caller. I'm curious what Daniel's got for us. Daniel, Daniel, you are muted. Daniel, hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey guys. Hi. I just hey. uh, had a quick question. I don't want to derail the Oscar conversation there. But uh, I guess I know, Ethan, you do a lot about the NBA's popularity. And uh, I guess I had two sort of ideas float around my head that I think sort of impact the NBA's popularity that I don't hear brought up too much among a lot of things here. And I think the two things that I want to sort of touch on are the uh, the Valley sports being blocked out on YouTube yep. TV. And so I, so I know I think is San Francisco is an NBC market. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, I'm not sure where you're at, Ryan, but I know for myself, I'm here in Atlanta. And uh, I don't know, I feel like it definitely puts a damper on things when I want to yeah. watch the local team and I can't do that. I and the other that, thing, oh, oh, no, sorry, I, go ahead. I, I don't want to want to hear the other thing, but I do think that's an aspect that I haven't taken as seriously as I should, in part because I'm just used to the local coverage that I see. But I do see that from a lot of fans that the Bally Sports uh issues um are a blight and a hindrance and everything else but the second they, one yeah that's an issue in mlb and nhl too um it, i think i i don't want to don't quote me on this but i think that they are in the process of making it so that you can buy them 
as standalone streaming services, which it's going to be expensive. And at that point, you might as well be like a Comcast or DirecTV subscriber. But it's not like I think the situation where um, you if you are like a YouTube TV or Sling or whatever subscriber that you don't get them, that's not going to like be the case forever. You're going to be able to buy them on their own, I think. Yeah, it's uh, nice for the NFL not to be tied to the RSN anchor. Uh, but what's the yeah, second one? Yeah, and it's nice that NFL games end before people go to bed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I guess ge- geographically, like the West Coast is like a big footprint, but a huge percentage of the population lives in the Eastern or Central time yeah. zones. And so, like, I'm staring down the barrel of these NBA playoffs coming on in a, in about a few weeks and they're going to end around midnight central time when I have to get up at six to prevent my old dog from peeing in the house. And so <laughs> it, it's like, I'm going to have to kind of discriminate about which Western conference games are worth being a zombie the next day for. But um, I wanted to go back to the NBA because I had a point about this with the difference it seems like the the NBA players are much more kind of I have to get what I want or I'm going to throw a tantrum. You know, the Gen Z mm. phenomenon that you wrote about last week. Yeah. And my theory on that is that MLB and NFL players have their gratification in the form of like these enormous contracts deferred a lot more. NFL players have to play three years in college and then they have to go through the rookie wage scale of four to five years, plus the possibility of the franchise tag. MLB players are under club control for something like seven years after mm. they're drafted. And so you contrast that with the NBA players coming into the league at age 19 and yeah. immediately having this like superstar spotlight on them that for baseball and football players is at least three years away in most cases. And so you you just get people whose brains aren't really fully formed yet already reaching the mountaintop. And I think that impacts the way that um, they adjust to adversity and anything from a sliding scale on down. Poor Daniel, he's trying to get his second point in, and right now oh, Ryan no. and I, Ryan and I, I think, it's uh, like night at the, it's like night at the Roxbury, and we're dancing, and he's in between, he's getting bopped around. If anybody likes nineteen ninety and SNL references, but I want to quickly address that because I think there's something to it, and I just think being a basketball player is more rarefied air than it is in the other sports. It's uh, there are fewer players on the team. Uh, you're a bigger deal. I was re-listening because I'm writing something on the Mavericks to the Horalaba Bulgaris interview with Pablo Torre and he's talking about Luca and from an early kind of from from early on Luca Doncic just people tiptoeing around him and he's kind of the power center of the organization in his early 20s I mean that's not really totally what it's like in these other sports like Ryan is saying and there is a firm sense in the NBA I don't know what to compare it to because I know the NBA just that the players are on a are on a plane above everybody else. If you're in the locker room, for instance, they often have catering after a game. 
um, and us media schlubs, we would like to eat the dregs of the catering at midnight after everybody's done with it. But you would see players sometimes yell, players eat first, players eat first, if they saw anybody so much as taking a taco from the catering platter. It was not about there being enough food. There was. Everybody would have enough. But it was just the, the hierarchy was very important to the players that no assistant coach or any other kind of team staffer got in there first. So anyway, Daniel, the second point. I think my second point sort of dovetails pretty well with what Ryan was talking about with uh, new players in the NBA kind of being in the spotlight immediately, but sort of from a different angle uh, and sort of going back to NBA popularity. Uh, I guess one thing that I've sort of noticed is all the new uh, G League teams seem to be moving to the same media markets as their sort of mothership team, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering if that's a like a missed opportunity in a weird way. Like I, I come from, I'm from Chattanooga. I'm from like a, you know, a small market, double A baseball town where, you know, that's, that's sort of a, a big deal to go to the double A baseball games versus, you know, now I, I live in Atlanta and, uh, you know, we have the Braves and we have the Hawks and the Hawks G League team down in College Park just a few minutes away. So it's, you know, it, but at the same time, nobody kind of cares about, the uh, the G League team, if you know, even the Hawks, a lot of the time too, it's a kind of situation down here. But I was curious uh, if you had had any insight on something like that. If, if you know, yeah, I, I Albuquerque would be a, a growth market for the NBA potentially. Yeah, it's a, it's that's an interesting idea. I think ideally you want them to be in the same TV market, but not necessarily in the same metro area, so you can expand the footprint. Um, I, I liked what the Warriors had going with uh, Santa Cruz being the team, but they're never going to expand to Santa Cruz, as you're saying. But it was nice to have kind of a, a, a smaller city engaged in that way and probably a better setup than, uh, do you know where the Warriors, can anybody tell me where the Warriors at that time D-League team was before they, they were in Santa Cruz? I, I'm just wondering if anybody can, can tell me that because God is at random. Are they Rock. Walnut Creek? Uh, no, uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. That's uh. <laughs> where, where it was. <laughs> I almost uh, I almost wrote a book. That was my big romantic idea in my mid-20s, was that I was going to move out to Bismarck in the winter, uh, maybe the coldest American city, and uh, just check out a Warriors G League slash D League uh, D League season and just see what it was like out there. Um, but yeah, I don't think that would have been a New York Times bestseller. No disrespect to your talent. Yeah, well, I who knows what I was thinking. I, I just it was this romantic idea. I'd find something out there, man. I'd find something. I, but look. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that setup makes sense. You need to recall the players. You need the players to come back and play for the big league team when they're playing well. You cycle them out when they're playing poorly uh, at the NBA level. It needs to be a Santa Cruz proximity. So that's the reason um, that these teams are staying in market. It's just it's helpful to have a city nearby. So that's but the like reason MLB you, yeah. has that same issue where they're recalling and sending people down. I don't know. I don't know the right answer on it, but um, yeah, it, 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 you know, it's like a point of pride. Um, when I, I grew up like outside of Hartford and they had the um, first, they had the new Britain Red Sox and then it was like the hardware city rock cats, which is like a twins affiliate. And it's like a point of pride when somebody comes through 
your small town on the way to the big leagues and then becomes a star. Um, But I, I, I understand. I think I get Daniel's point. I get your point. I just haven't really given much thought to the DG league in general. And I think that NIL and college basketball is going to kill a lot of the ambitions that the league had to bring these young stars into that tent. Yeah. Although I liked what they were doing with the Ignite team. They might have to splash the cash a little bit more. I think generally college basketball, this might be one where we disagree on Ryan. I think college basketball is at cross purposes with the NBA. I think that um, when we say it's a farm system for the NBA, it's not a very good farm system. If the farm system is arguably more popular than your sport and on during the season, your sport is on um, and you can't air any games during its biggest games. Uh, that's a competing business folks. That's generally when you are in business, a business you would try to kill. If you but could. it works with, with college football and the NFL like Saturday and much Sunday. more um, synchronistically because you've got like stars that um, come into the league like we talked about before with like Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl. 20 million or 30 million people watched him dominate at LSU in the national title game. And so the, um, the fact is, is the football players are there longer to build their stars three times as long at least in fact and so but like by the time somebody is done in college basketball they've been there for like three or four months of a season yeah well it works well and the most important aspect is that one is on Saturdays one is on Sundays and the other days and they're not they're not double booking. They're not overlapping. So they can work in that synchronicity in a way that doesn't happen with the NBA and NCAA. And honestly, I think it's upheld in large part. These are human beings making decisions. It's not just about the money. A lot of NBA owners are just passionate fans and backers of their universities. I don't think it's in their heart uh, to crush or kill uh, those, those schools as competition. Robert Sarver, loves Arizona, for instance. I don't think Yeah, Mark Cuban loves Indiana, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So I think that's there's an emotional component there. But wow, we're already filling up with some uh with some callers. So let's let's go with the thanks so much, Daniel. Eventually we get to the Oscars thing, but we gotta go to the in, inimitable Yu Yang. Yu Yang hey, sir. Hello, hello. Hey, you know what? Hey. I, I love hey hey he said I love your word and I can't even say that word inimitable. <laughs> I can barely say it. I can only say it because I wasn't thinking too hard about saying yeah, it. But yeah. now but, yeah, but but to be to be to be frank though, there's a lot of words I can't pronounce. So it's and I, it's just because you know this, I have a speaking problem. And uh, and and Ryan, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your refrigerator. Um, I think like we should uh, the caller should like do like a GoFundMe, you know, page for no, him. No, 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 <laughs> I don't. I no, no. We I'm good. I I, I can afford it. Um, my my kids are healthy and yeah. I have the job that I want. So you guys do not need to send me dips. Um, I was just <laughs> complaining because it all happened at once today. <laughs> no, I, I feel you. I feel. You. Hey, let me just get to my point. And I, this is actually kind of a little bit more for uh, for Ethan because of something he said. But definitely, mm-hmm. I, I'm always open to hearing what Ryan has to say. Of course, you know because he has great takes. Um, <laughs> Thank hey, you. Hey, of course, of course, uh, Ethan. So you know, recently you made a really interesting point, which I, I agreed with uh, about like the boomers. And I, mm-hmm. I don't want to like you know mis 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 mischaracterize your point because I'm going to butcher it. You know, <laughs> but uh, I, I think what, I, I had to re-listen to it. Like when you were on the pod, when you were when when you had Matt Welch uh, on as a guest, 
Yeah. I think the way you said it was basically that you don't want to fall into this trap where like you, you can't like uh, complain about things kind of uh, uh, declining, like some kind of yeah. societal thing, right? And, you know, and but one thing that you pointed out to about the boomers, uh, like they have this kind of famous saying about how like, you know, you can't trust people over 30, right? Yeah. That, that's kind of like what boomers are famous for saying, or oh, one of them. You know, I got to say from my life experience, I think that statement is, there's a lot of truth to it. Now, mm. it's not... It's not, it's not always true. There's no such thing, right? There's always two sides, right? But I want to yeah. give you some quick examples that's sports-related, and then I get off so you can get take the take calls from Jay Never and, trust and a running back over 30. Sorry, <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> no, and yo, you're super funny, by the way. No, 100% true. So I'll give you an example, right? Like when I was a kid in the 80s, um, I was about 8 to 10 years old, and the, I had I, I only seen Michael Jordan maybe play once or twice, right? Because, you know, he wasn't on – I didn't live in Chicago, right? I lived, I lived, so he wasn't on all the time. But just based on that one, one or two times I saw Michael Jordan play as like an eight to 10 year old, I already thought this guy was the greatest player of all time. Like that's just the way I, I reacted. Now, of course, I was a kid, right? But this is where mm -hmm. like, um, I remember, but then I went to school, right? And I talked to some of my teachers about this. I had guys, I had teachers who were like in their 30s or 40s trying to convince me that like Oscar Robinson was better than Michael Jordan, right? And obviously mm. that's not true, right? But I'm bringing this uh, kind of long story just to point out that, like, as a kid growing up, I've had this happen so many times where, like, people who are older than me, you know, 30, 20 years old, tell me things that, that turn out not to be true. Like, I'll give you another example, yeah. right? and then I'll go. So, like, as a kid growing up, um, kids my age, we were the ones that knew about the Internet. Like, my brother showed me the Internet back in, like, 1992, 93. And then I, I was trying to explain how Internet works to somebody who's over 30. And they would look at me, look at me like I'm crazy, right? So on and on again, yeah. I see, I see I, just my personal experience, but also just I, I see with different generations that people in that age group between like say 13 to 22, they know about things, they know about technology and they also know how the world is changing. Um, so that's why now that I'm in my forties, I always like listen to the people who are in the twenties. Like, like uh, at work now, the people who are 22, 24, like they show me how to like uh, pirate movies uh, by, by streaming, not even by downloading. See, I'm old school. I was still downloading movies. And it's like, no, no, you don't have to download it. You just go to this website and then you type in yeah. a movie and you can stream it for free. So it's like the cycle just repeats over and over again where these young people, they know what they're talking about and they, they know a lot of uh, the truth and they also know how technology is changing. So yeah, that's, that's I think, it. yeah, I think there's a lot there to think about. I mean, one of the things is this. It, often people are on to something. They might not be yeah. right about everything, but they're not on to nothing, right? So when the boomers were saying that, what were they saying it about? What was happening in that era? There was a very stupid war that the older cohort disproportionately wanted them to fight in. It was a very bad idea. A lot of the right. culture they formed was a reaction to that, right? So there's a lot we can criticize the boomers about. I know they like to represent themselves as uh, the civil rights heroes, and that's what they did. And it's a massive generation. It's had a massive cultural influence so it's not going to be all bad or good but i do think that they kind of passed on this idea of this vanguardism where the young are always right they're always correct <laughs> the older are always stupid and it's a lot more nuanced like what you're saying about how you know, there are instances where young people are going to be on to the next thing obviously and also there are instances where old people are these hopeless nostalgists and they're clinging to whatever was good in in their youth and not admitting that there's something better but part of the issue with this favored vanguardism this cultural meme that has been passed down ironically by people who are old now um is that it 
it, it creates an inability to see what's happening in a moment of decline. America is declining over the True. last couple decades. It just is. And yeah. so if you notice that now, if you see what's happening, if you say, hey, things are getting worse here and they're getting worse there, it's so easy to reflexively just say, oh, well, this is just like old man yells at cloud. This is just, <laughs> you know, complaining about kids these days. And you, you, you start trying to point to it and go, dude, like, look at the survey data. The young people are very unhappy. Like, things are not going well. Things are not going well. We great. have a president talking about food shortages. Yeah, things are not going great. <laughs> they, they, they're not going so solid. And so, and I think it's not just on that kind of level of material needs. On an artistic level, it's far more subjective. But I think that movies, I know that Douthit had a very interesting column related to the Oscars about the death of American movies. But I think it's yep. it's bigger than that. I think that we are paralyzed artistically. I think we are in a moment of decline. I think it's fairly evident. And if you're going to just approach that situation with a thought terminating cliche that, well, uh, the young are always correct. Things are always improving. No, they're not. Things are often going getting better or they're getting worse. It's really one of the two ways. And just because the boomers ascended at a moment where America was really feeling itself and a lot of things were improving doesn't mean that's going to happen perpetually. So I don't know if I have any in any way address anything you were saying, but I, I thought <laughs> that you were making good points. Ryan, what I do you think? Um, to address Yu Yang's point, I think it's extremely important to um, cultivate the youngs, as I call them, and as part of your social and professional network for the reasons that he was saying. But also because, you know, if you get, if you get the right ambitious ones, you can ride their coattails later mm-hmm. um, because they, they can come back and hire you when they're when they're in charge and running things and you're in kind of the decline but um i you know to your movie point are you saying that it was not the best idea for the quality of american movies to cater them to, um, <laughs> to make them Chinese worldwide marketplace like yeah <laughs> what, what are you trying to say here well, that one is interesting, even without the ethical compromises. That's a whole other conversation that I, I tend to think the more specific you make something, the more relatable uh, it is. And one of the problems, it, it's in many ways a great thing that you can market a movie around the world, but then it creates this pressure where you need to make it so broadly appealing that you end up scrubbing out a lot of what makes something interesting, what makes something specific, something that you would think would only appeal to a niche group of, of people. And so I think even without the moral compromises, there has been that impact on the artistry that was perhaps unforeseen and I think has been dragging it down. I know some people I would argue say, that. Yeah. Um, I I think we had a very bad 10 to 15 year stretch of music. But I've been getting into some newer music lately Mm. after, like, lapsing for a long time. I've been watching this channel, MTV Live, that shows new music videos. (laughs) I were going to say MTV. I've been watching this channel. Have you heard of it? MTV. Yes. You were saying MTV Live. You know, some of it is, like, you know, Gen Z, like, all my friends hate me. And it's, like, very sad and slow. And I'm like, who are they making this for? But, you know pop punk is coming back um will smith's daughter we can use this to segue into <laughs> oh, yes. um the oscars will smith's daughter willow makes um pop punk music and she has like a song with 
Machine Gun Kelly called Emo Girl, where both of them are like obsessed with like wanting to date an emo girl, and it's actually like very catchy and good. But um, go ahead. Let, let's go yeah. into the Oscar stuff. I know we have yeah. some callers waiting, and thank you, we'll thank you, Yu Yang. Yes, yes, that's it is good stewardship by you, Ryan. Let's uh, thank you, Yang. Yeah, let's get into this Oscars thing. Oscars thing, we don't really, it needs no introduction. Uh, I'm, I'm in some ways a little bored with a lot of the takes, except for this one, except for David Shore, the Democratic pollster, controversial Democratic pollster, uh, did a poll because I guess he runs a polling outfit on whether people found Chris Rock more at fault or Will Smith more at fault. And there are several uh, startling revelations about this poll. One is that there's no obvious partisan breakdown and there's no obvious racial breakdown. Uh, Jamel Hill wrote something, I think, in The Atlantic about how this was a two America situation and black America viewed it so much differently than white America. And you look at the, at least in this sample, the polling. And yeah, there's some difference. I mean, you look at it and... uh, uh, 51.1% of white people uh, think Chris Rock was more wrong, and uh, 56% of black people think Chris Rock was more wrong in this particular uh, situation, this imbroglio. I mean, what is that? That's like 5%, 5%, a little less than 5%. It, it reminds me a little bit of how on abortion, people often say that uh, only a woman's opinion matters, and you know, only women should be asked, but there's not a lot of daylight when you look at the polling between men and women in their views on abortion. Random thing to bring out there. But um, so that was very interesting right there. And I think it was a good reminder, Ryan, that sometimes there are these divisions that people in the media kind of announce and, and, and sort of push out there. And again, Jamel wasn't on to nothing. There was a difference. But the differences often aren't as immense as uh as are thought or promoted. And uh, beyond that, it was very surprising how many people thought Chris Rock was more wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'd be very fascinated to hear not all of like the interviews, but maybe like a couple. So I could like see how the polling was constructed because Mm -hmm. I'd love to know exactly like how people were being presented with this choice. I've got the wording. I've got the wording right here. Last night, there was an incident at the Academy Awards uh, show you may have heard about. The host, comedian Chris Rock, made a comment about Jada Pinkett Smith's hair loss. It's very small text. It's hard to read. Uh, Joking that she should be cast in a movie as G.I. Jane. In response, her husband, actor Will Smith, stormed on the stage and slapped Rock across the face. Okay, so the wording of that is going to slant people to blaming Chris Rock because it presumes that he knew that she was undergoing a hair loss issue as opposed mm. to making a fashion decision. I mean, he might have. I, I, I'm not sure. I, we I don't know. We something... have no, he hasn't said anything, so we don't know what he knew or didn't know. But, like, it, it's not so out of, like, the realm of possibility that she would cut her hair short at, by choice and yeah. then he would make a joke about it. Like... You know, sorry to interrupt, but no, uh, no, no. I was just thinking it was a very Larry David situation then for Chris Rock. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think what happens in these often is that people almost play the result. And I obviously I, I would not say that Chris Rock is more in the wrong, but I think a lot of people, they see the reaction and to almost rationalize what happened, they think, 
well, there must have been a good reason for that. And that that taints how they assess it, where if Will Smith had never done that, then nobody thinks anything wrong happened. I don't think there'd be any kind of reaction to it. Right. So a lot of it is just determined by the result. And then people uh, assume that, hey, that had to happen for a reason. So Chris Rock must have been wrong. Yeah, we would have been talking about like Amy Schumer or something right now. <laughs> oh God, um, well, then Will Smith's a hero. Then he saved us from that. He did. He saved us from talking about um, Hollywood and Florida and Disney yeah. uh, thing, yeah. which we covered last. We've had that conversation like three times. I was kind yes. of dreading it, but um, yes. the, uh, you know what I, um, I think that what this was, it wasn't even a reaction from Will Smith directly at Chris Rock. But like, you know, Will Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith have been like talking about Jada Pinkett Smith having like an open relationship for a while. And unsurprisingly, w- given like our current dynamics or really any cultural dynamics of any era we could talk about, that has caused a lot of, you know, attention on their marriage and jokes. And so I think Will Smith probably went into this on edge, like knowing he's, you know, the presumptive winner of best actor. Their marriage has been in the news based on their own decisions to put it in the news. And so he's probably wound up knowing that he's going to catch barbs over it at some point. And Mm. Um, I, I don't know, like, it was weird how he laughed at first and then saw that his wife was upset about it and then went and smacked Chris Rock and then swore after his whole brand is that he doesn't swear. And so yeah. it's all very bizarre, but um, yeah, as much as I, I'm glad he saved us from talking about Amy Schumer. There's something very sad, and I can't help but see the metaphor in a star from the 90s, the biggest movie star of the 1990s, somebody whose brand was being fun and slightly uh, self-deprecating, but also cool, and now in 2022, grasping for attention, looking unhappy. He's going to get all the attention for winning best actor can i go on an aside about richard williams real quick and then we can go back to this sure um you know that this movie was it portrayed well i didn't see it but my understanding (laughs) is it portrayed him as this like wonderful family man and i'll give him a ton of credit all the credit in the world for um developing venus and serena into i, these I love you doing the stephen a smith i give him all the credit in the world like before the criticism uh, <laughs> well you know the criticism is it well it is of him but it's also of the coverage of him more is that before venus and serena he abandoned a family of like a wife and several kids left them in poverty he told his eight-year-old daughter he was going out to get this according to her he told her he was going to the store to buy her a bike and never came home. Oof. And nobody ever talks about this. Wow. Wow. I didn't know about it. I, I wasn't an expert on it. People contain multitudes. Um, so it's yeah, like, see, you know, give him the credit for Venus and Serena. But if you're making a biopic on him, how do you just not mention this at all? I mean, and you it's to your understanding that they don't because it felt like well, it was yeah, because she because I know about it because she was saying like, how could they not mention this? This is ah. ridiculous. 
Well, they used to do that. They used to give you the complicated anti-hero biopic where you would see what Ray Charles was doing in his life that wasn't so great, right? And it was almost parody to a degree in the uh, Dewey Cox story, uh, Walk Hard, that for the musicians, especially, you would see the bad things. Yeah, James Brown, like you're, you're going to see it with him. But yeah, uh, but, um, you know, but I think these days, Marvin yeah, Gaye, I don't know. We're, we're, we used to be capable. This is my declinism talking. We used to be capable of complex conversations, Ryan. Uh, and I'm not sure we are anymore. I'm not sure. So uh, with that, we have a, a complicated conversation specialist in the one, the only JF who we're going to make next caller. Hopefully he's on his toes. We don't give people uh, off yeah. the morning. Hey. Hey guys. Hey, hey Ethan. Hey Ryan. Hi. Uh, so yeah, so I was, I saw that poll. I was totally blown away by it. Uh, yeah. maybe it's indicative to kind of the decline in society, which you've, uh, you know, rambled about there, Ethan, but actually uh, not a ramble, sir. An yeah, oration. It was very eloquent, sorry. An opus. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. You're safe. But it was absolutely like, it was a ex post facto judgment, right. On, uh, <laughs> on will's reaction right it's there i don't think anyone would have you know thought chris rock said anything wrong without the kind of crazy reaction from will smith right it's yes you know to judge it wrong was only solely because of this and i think this is actually one of the problems with the nba because it's officiated by uh the reaction more than the initial action by the player uh, mm. which of course uh, it's we, funny when you said NBA, i thought yeah like when kevin durant got mad at me nobody else was mad at me no but i, I went to meville right there no you meant the actual on-court product explain yourself yeah so i was watching a bit of the game last night it was the raptors and the celtics and you know thice was flopping everywhere and you know the entire team marcus smart and you know i think at the end it was like 28 fouls to 15 and i couldn't believe it um and it was a lot of the uh, penalties were called because these guys were flopping, right? It wasn't because the yeah. initial reaction, but they saw people fall to the floor. And really, you can ma- manipulate any kind of action or any kind of contact at all to draw a foul. Like, you know, if you have the ball and you're near the uh, out of bounds line and just fall out with the ball in hands, right? Looking like you got pushed. They're, of course, they won't, you know, call a turnover on you. They're going to call a foul that it was a push out. And what I like and what I really enjoyed watching in college basketball last few weeks was that that's not, you know, ingrained into the the college player's brain, right? They're not trying to cheat the officials out of bad calls. They're not good enough. They don't have the the Yeah, they don't have the guile. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why it's it's so entertaining to watch. Um, And another piece. Well, they also don't shoot as well. And so there's the trade-off. Yeah. And another thing, too, they only have so many discretionary timeouts, like probably half of the timeouts that the NBA has, uh, which, you know, keeps more flow and momentum. I, I don't know if I'd agree with that, with them having the play stoppage every four minutes. Well, I'd rather have the kind of built in timeouts like where they have in NHL uh, or, uh, you know, maybe perhaps football than <clears throat> kind of the coach, you know, deciding when they uh, go to commercial break. Mm. Right. So uh, but I I just want to ask, too, you know, off topic. So the last two rounds or the that were broadcast on CBS all outrated the NBA finals uh, for total viewers versus the 2001 NBA finals, Mm. not not even the bubble. So how is that kind of, you know, 
striking fear into the MB offices about negotiating this new TV deal. Um, it doesn't because they're unaccountable. Yeah, they're, they're going to. Well, JF is he's the guy in the big short shorting what everybody else is thinking is going to is going to just perpetually go up, which is why I like getting his questions in part beyond the other insights. Um, and, yeah. And just uh, your initial caller, he made a, a great point about, you know, Bali sports being off YouTube TV. I'm right. Beginning this year, uh, Jabari Young from CNBC had this really, uh, you know, PR piece from the NBA saying that, you know, they're out for $10 billion a year uh, in in contracts. And, you know, if they don't get it from these networks, they're going to go to streaming services, which is an absolute joke. They may have the cash, but they wouldn't. It's outside of their philosophy. But even if they did, even if like Apple would do were to shell out $10 billion a year for them, it'd be the most short-sighted move ever in the NBA because they don't have a subscriber base that would, you know, follow them there or, you know, yeah. tune in to uh, NBA live programming on their streaming services, right? It, the only one that, can, there's really only two, but Netflix would never get involved is uh, Prime and Netflix. Yeah. And if well, they were, if they were to partner I, with, Sorry. Go. No, no, I, I, you're, you're making a good point. I was just going to interject uh, quickly. I think the problem for them is they're also just not a streaming. They're not they're not a subscription type sport. You need to have events to have subscribers. You need to be like MMA and have events. You can't have what the MLB or the NBA has of a ton of games. That's just not that's not what you can have. You need to have events to drive subscriptions. But you were saying. And, and you know what? I heard Cowherd uh, on like some Twitter uh, clip of his, you know, talking about the Netflix effect, the Netflix effect, folks. He's like, yes, he was trying to protect. We both NBA. like Colin. Be careful. <laughs> well, I'm yes, just hoping I, that I, you I, can I, give me enough like, that I can imitate him and I can do the imitation. But yes, what, I, what is I, that the was my imitation of him. A very poorly one. Uh, <laughs> the Netflix good. effect. You got the cadence right. He, uh, <laughs> So he was saying that, yeah, he was defending the NBA by saying, oh, well, you know, baseball's down. Baseball's down. Hockey's down. That's because of the Netflix effect. Monday to Friday, though, only Netflix effect. He's like, NFL ratings are up. UFC ratings are up. That's because it's on the weekend outside of the Netflix effect. But of course, of course it totally ignores that the biggest property, uh, you know, for the NF NBA has had the most significant drop off, uh, which is the ABC telecast on the weekend. So yeah. outside of this, you know, Netflix effect that he has. So uh, there's a lot of defenders of it, but I really don't see how uh, we get to a, a, you know, an economical reality where, you know, it's worth whatever they get in the next deal. I even heard Nate Duncan, you know, on a new podcast talking about that. It's going to go up again. And, uh, and they, cited the previous deal that went up, which of course I think people often forget it was in a very kind of um, bubbly market in the TV cable industry. And plus it was not on straight valuation. They basically mm. doubled the volume they got from that deal. Uh, you know, they added a, a separate night each TNT got Tuesdays and ESPN got, I think a Friday uh, night of two games. So uh, anyways, I'll, I'll let you. And they had Fox's stocking horse. Yes. Uh, well, if yes, we have enough yes. inflation, it's going to look impressive uh, no matter what is <laughs> and, maybe the uh, solution there. And before I drop off, I want to, yes, support Ryan's point there earlier where he was saying the college 
uh, system is much more beneficial to the NBA than, you know, them trying to grow the G League because the brands are so much stronger. And like you said, the attention they get is so much bigger, like larger. You're getting nine million uh, people tuning in for a first round game. And, you know, it's able to grab Duke and UNC uh, fans and bring them into those teams that uh, that draft those players. Yeah, it, it can happen. I just don't see it happening reliably. Steph Curry got something from having that Davidson run. That helped his superstardom when the unexpected superstardom occurred. I think Zion, had he not encountered all the problems that he encountered in the NBA, would have gotten a nice boost from that, that run with Duke. But outside of that, it's hard to really look at NBA superstars whose superstardom was informed by it. And indeed, some of the biggest NBA superstars have no college track record. I'm thinking about, of course, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. So I just don't, I don't see enough evidence for it uh, to justify having. But imagine if LeBron played at Duke for three years. I mean, that that would be fascinating. I mean, it would be weird because, like, in all these situations, he would hate, you know, Krzyzewski, they, they would not like each other, and there would be burned bridges, but they won, you know, two NCAA titles. I mean, yeah, I may, that's a good counterfactual, but it's hard to think of a player more popular. Like, could Kobe Bryant have been more popular if he was at one of these schools? I think Duke was the rumored one for him. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just think... I, I think the NBA should approach it like a competing business, but they won't, so it's moot, so whatever. Uh, Dan, we need to get Dan. Make Dan the next caller. Dan. Dan's been waiting a while, man. He's been very patient. Dan, you're on. You're on, Dan. Give the five count. The one, the two, the three, the four, the five, and that's okay because we've got Yasarian waiting in the wings, ladies and gentlemen. Chat superstar. Call in superstar. Hey, <laughs> how am I supposed to possibly say anything after that, Ethan? Come on. Man. I'm sorry. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. So anyway, hey guys, um, great discussion as always, and wide ranging as always, and touching on so many different issues that it's so difficult to cabin my thoughts here. But to, to keep it at least nominally sports related, I'll say off the top that um, yeah, college basketball sucks because the Bruins lost to UNC in a heartbreaking fashion. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I'm over that. And uh, hey, how about Albert Pujols going back, going back to my Cardinals? Huh. I mean, uh, I thought I, he has a hundred thousand dollar incentive if he wins MVP. I hope the Cardinals owners can afford it. <laughs> Well, Ethan, yeah. he's he he's like over the hill, and no, I know I know enough party. about baseball to know that. I know Albert Pujols is old, but what a story that would be if he won MVP! It'd be incredible. <laughs> that would be that would be legitimately incredible. Anyway, I just wanted to follow up what you guys were talking about with you Yang earlier, you know, and the whole you know listen listen to the youngs, Ryan, as as you put it, and. You know, I didn't say things. listen to him. I said cultivate. Have him around. <laughs> <laughs> Have him around. <laughs> Spoken like an old crafty dude for sure. Um, no, it's there's much wisdom in that, and it's it's you know it's funny because I look back. I, I often think about my 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 grandfather who passed away a while ago, and he was like a rock ribbed Goldwater conservative who you know owned his own business and was sort of this larger than life figure. Um, and I was like, you know, this is back in the nineties and, you know, I had long hair and 
was a diehard liberal Democrat and, you know, and just, he, he loved me in spite of all that. And, and I loved him and, and looked up to him a lot in spite of all that. And I just imagine him, you know, I'm not, I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there is, he's looking at me and like shaking his head and being like, I told you so, man. Well, you know, I mean, I, thing- I want to, here's, here's a take I didn't give with the Yu Yang thing. It, it, I don't see it often articulated. I need everybody to play their role. You know, I want you to be who you were then. I want him to be who he was. How the boomers, the influential boomers, not the normie boomer, but the boomers in positions of influence, how they're screwing it up is that the adults have lost their nerve. They just assume that whatever kind of protest is coming at them must be correct. And they're not playing their goddamn role of saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's screwing up the balance of society. That's my take. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. And I'm part of it is what I wanted to push back on you, Yang, was when he talked about like listening to the young people because they get the talk, the technology. I'm like, well, that's that we don't even really know who's in charge. Like you like Biden says something and then like the statements from the White House are like, no, that's not the White House's (laughs) policy. It's like, what the hell? How is what the president says? Not the White House's policy. Who's yeah, in charge is an interesting question. Yeah, young. Can somebody young figure that out for me? That would be great. <laughs> well, that's the thing is is like nobody's in charge, right? And yeah. the and so the the it's this fetishization of technology. Whatever new technology is, must be good. And I recognize that this has been said about radio and television. But I mean, honestly, at this point, I think it has to be said that the internet was just a major mistake. Ah, right. On, on, on the, the apotheosis of this call in show. I think we've reached it. We have concluded through hours of conversation. <laughs> the Internet. Well, a I, recognize, I recognize a certain amount of, of irony here. But the interesting part t- to me is that like the conversation that we're having, right, is sort of it's like talk radio just done in a different format and it's done in a micro format. Right. Yes. And that's part of the problem when you see all the, the fractionalization of the, of the American society and culture, it's because we can all silo ourselves off into these echo chambers. And it's something that I'm exquisitely conscious of because I listen to, to you guys and Jesse single and Katie Herzog. And there are a ton of people out there I listen to, but it's, it is like a self curated um, feed of information and takes all of which, you know, I very much agree with, and it's just confirmation bias. And then there are all these other silos of people, whether they're crazy MAGA, MAGA, QAnon, Trumpist types who I vehemently disagree with, or the identitarian types of the left that who I vehemently disagree with, well, or they're siloed off too. I'm going to interject right there. I think something that's a little interesting is that group, not so much with the podcasting, I don't know what what to make of that, but not so much of the podcasting. The the woke, for lack of a better term, uh, don't seem to be well represented in in these forms of media, yet have enormous influence as part of the social media hive mind. Yeah, well, that's because the long form podcasting isn't, you know, I mean, to stereotype. It's it's more. It, it, it takes TikTok it doesn't take that, that long to say everything is racist. <laughs> well. <laughs> And I and I think, frankly, and this is self-serving, but I think if you have a shitty personality, as many people who are angry and marshalling online mobs do and are unhappy people, um, it's not a pleasant experience for the listener to be around for that. 
Um, so I think that's also that's also a component. Or given what you're saying about siloing, maybe a lot of these things exist, and I'm just not aware. That could be it too. And to, and to bring it back around to the the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, the way I've come to think of it in sort of the the post lockdown, post George Floyd 2020, post you know the the reckoning that we're all having that our society's having, and this gets back to decline and that you're talking about is that there's nobody, nobody is interested in preserving sort of the, the, the commonality, the, the social fabric there's everybody's incentivized to attack it and is attacking it with great vigor. And so the way I've come to think of it is in terms of like, what is pro-social and what is anti-social and right mm. now from Chase of Bodine in San Francisco and the, and the, the scenes that are going on in the streets of San Francisco to you know, um, oh, man, the, the, the day his head gets dragged <laughs> around on a stake and a recall, it's like through I the don't live there, but we're we're going through our own version of it here, and so it'll feel like a victory for me, even though we're going to be stuck with it for with um Kim Fox for another couple of years. I'm, fa- is, I'm fast. I don't want to derail Yasiri, but I, I'm fascinated by how he looks like he's sticking it out. I thought he would after the the school board recall that he would just get out of dodge but yeah that's that's gonna be it it was an oddly celebratory moment in some bars after the school board recall in san francisco i don't know what it's gonna be like but for 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 you sarian's point about the social fabric i went to a wwe event um last week and it there like the crowd is just having so much fun nobody cares if the person next to them voted for Trump or Biden or like there's none of this identitarian polarization in the audience. And I think we see that in a lot of these NCA tournament crowds. And yeah. that's a big reason why it's wiping the NBA's clock. Like I had said to Ethan months ago, like, these crowds are really bustling and have great energy. And I think that one of the things we learned during the pandemic is we all collectively underrated how big a part a lit crowd is in the presentation of these sports TV shows. And the NBA should have that come postseason. I think that should be part of what's helping to lift it. Uh, I would believe, but yeah, it does seem like let's maybe we end on a positive. I do see more normalcy right now, and I, but I have to say, I I am. We, we got another play. caller. I can keep. Oh no, cupcakes hung uh, up again. Huh? Char, uh, Chicago. We got a Chicago guy on there. Uh, Chicago Charlie. I mean, we'll 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 get there. I was just gonna start ranting about. I mean, I choose to live where I live, so maybe I shouldn't complain. But it does seem like there are a lot of people who never want to leave 2020, uh, which is frustrating. And we'll we'll see how it all goes. Do you have any any final points, Yasserian? Are you good? You, you you got your takes off? Yeah, for the most part. Just in closing, saying that you know, I think all of the. I mean, with the respect to the sports, I don't know. I mean, like that there seemed to be an additional edge in the UCLA Arizona games this year. Just a lot more. Like it just feels like people are taking out some of their tribal passions mm. more in that atmosphere. And certainly like having been locked out of it for a couple of years may play a part in it. But anyway, I'm I, I, like I said, at this point, I'm more interested in trying to preserve what's pro social and, uh, and going from there. And as always, thanks for the time guys. 
Thank yes. you. We, we as well are, are for the good things and against the bad things. And uh, with that, the final caller of the evening from Chicago, Cupcakes. You there? Ethan Ryan, so happy to be on with you guys. <laughs> are you leaning into that accent? <laughs> I put a little extra on for you. I know it. I know it gives you your, uh, I love knowledge. it. <laughs> um, speaking of the good things, so Ryan, I know you're a Packer fan. You're talking about <laughs> the experience of being in a crowd. I'm telling you, man, you go up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin on a Saturday night to a Wisconsin Herd G League game. The place is lit. Mm. I believe that Wisconsin has great sports fans across the board. Like I don't Wisconsin think people realize makes, Wisconsin's got a good good basketball culture. I, yeah, culture. I mean, but, but like they go, they pack or like arenas for like women's basketball and I mean women's hockey, women's volleyball. The 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 Badger women's basketball team is stung yeah. forever, so not them. But um, I'm just like I've top my head recently. Uh, Halliburton, I believe, is from out there. Uh, yep. Tyler yeah, Tyler Hero. Harrow. Yep. Yeah, Jordan Poole. Uh, uh, Ron Butler was from Racine, Wisconsin. Mr. Looney. Yeah, we could. Yeah, go the great the Kevon Looney. Yeah. And 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 uh, Ethan, I was out in Santa Cruz, California, for the first time in my life. And if I could pick up and move there tomorrow, I would. But I went to a I went to a uh, Santa Cruz Warriors game. Also, a great crowd on a Saturday. Yeah, and actually, it was a Thursday night. And two commonalities, okay? Both of these one-horse team cities, they just want to see the team play hard and win. And they want to see, like, some semblance of the same guys night after night. And the challenge the G League faces, because in terms of just basketball, NCAA basketball is horrible preparation for NBA basketball. It yeah. is about the ego of the coach. It doesn't like if it were job training, it would like it, you, it, it's 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 not it's not any kind of a reproduction of like what these guys face just on the court. But the NBA as a mega billion dollar industry for three point five million dollars, the mid-level exception, the price that guys are bought out and say, hey, go chill. We don't want you. Here's five million. That happens every year. For $3.5 million, you could get most of the best players in the world that would not want to go to Serbia or Russia or China to play, who most of which are American or Canadian, come yeah. here. And these guys could oh, all like such a great like, point. They could they could like create a thing where the fans would see this thing. Like the the Bucks, now this is going deep in the weeds, but the herd, uh, the game I was at, there's a dude, Wenyan Gabriel, who's on the Lakers now. And he was on the herd most of the year. They love this dude in Oshkosh. But, like, they hang banners up at, at the herd games about all the call-ups. And it's like, well, are herd fans, like, are they really excited to go see that a guy's doing well for the Lakers? Like, yeah. like the whole system. And it's so short-sighted because the, the answer I keep getting is they don't want to spend the money. But, like, they could completely change the game if they just put money into it. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, it would take a little ambition. It's uh, not necessarily as game-changing as the metaverse uh, that we were told about that the NBA was entering into. But I agree. They built their own farm system. Uh, it's maybe too late, the NIL, what Ryan's talking about. But I, I'm in agreement with that take. Uh, this has been a great show. I want to give a lot of thanks to all of you. A lot of thanks to Ryan. 
lot of I things. really do. I do appreciate that people come here week after week and we've got, yeah. you know, a, a crew of regulars. Um, I haven't really been a part of something like this in a multimedia perspective before. A big lead when I was first there had a really vibrant comment section, but um, I, I do appreciate um, you for having me and everybody for listening. Uh, it's uh, my pleasure. Happy to have you. And I agree. It's, it's very nice to have, I don't want to say community because my thing is that these digital landscapes can't approximate community, but Hey, I'll just say it's a good community here and we will see you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks guys.